The following audio is from the Grove Church Snohomish campus. For more information about our church or to listen to previous sermons, check out our website at grove.church. We continue our series today called Lights, Camera, Action. We're talking about the role of the Holy Spirit and what God does in our life through the Holy Spirit, okay? And so this is week two. Uh, If you're taking notes, this sermon title is called The A-List, okay, The A-List. Now, by a raise of hands, how many of you, man, you just love movies? Come on, just raise your hand. You love watching, streaming, going to movies. Yeah, I'm a big movie fan. I love movies. Uh, now that we have two little kids, it's hard to go to the movies, so we tend to wait for all the movies to come uh, to Redbox or uh, On Demand or whatever, the different streaming you know, sites that you use. But man, we love going to movies, and the crazy thing about movies is movies are all about the actors, are they not? I mean, the reason why you choose to go to certain movies and choose to go to you know, others and not go to some is all about really probably the storyline, number one, but then number two, who's in the movie? And if it's an actor that you like or it's an actor that you love or it's someone that you, you know, really want to see portrayed in that way, you're more likely going to go and see that movie more than if it was a different actor that you didn't necessarily care about. Movies that go big and make millions and even sometimes billions tend to be movies that not only have one A-list actor, but multiple A-list actors, right? This is why they can pay these guys and gals millions of dollars to act in these roles because they know that you and I as the viewer will go see those movies and pay money to see those movies because it's our favorite actors. I mean, there's times when movies come out and you go, oh, well, who's in it? That's sometimes the first question we ask. They're like, oh, oh, it's just those people? Oh, okay, I'll wait. I'll wait for it to get on DVD, you know, or whatever the case may be. But if it's someone like, oh, it's those actors? Oh, man, well, I got I to gotta go see that in the theater. So what I've done is I've put a little compilation together of some famous movies, A-list movies with A-list actors just to get us thinking about uh, how powerful movies are, especially when it has the A-list actors and actresses in it. So let's roll the tape. If that doesn't pump you up, I don't know what does. How many of you, by the raise of hand, you've seen one of these movies? Okay, yeah, a lot of us, right? Absolutely. Okay, these are like A-list movies with A-list actors. And when we look at these kind of movies, we realize, wow, yeah, those, those actors, we, we know them by name. We know how many movies they've been in. We've seen other movies that they've been in. When it comes to the Holy Spirit, the empowering of the Holy Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit, we must recognize, first of all, that when Jesus ascended into heaven, he was not giving us another prophet or sending another king. He was not sending us another person or uh, another message. He was actually giving us the A-list Holy Spirit. He was giving us the Holy Spirit, the power of God, working in our lives, moving on our behalf. In fact, when Jesus ascended into heaven, he knew very well that if the disciples were going to pull off the advancement of the kingdom of God and the advancement of early Christianity, he knew very well that they were going to need the presence of God himself working in their hearts, moving in their lives to pull off what they were needing to pull off. 
As a reminder, Jesus has now died. He's risen again. He's appeared to over 500 people. And we, as we look to Acts 4 today, I want to give you a little bit of some background as to what's going on in Acts, and then we'll pick it up in Acts 4. They have Pentecost, the Holy Spirit comes upon the believers and the power of the Spirit ascends on them like a wind, like a fire. We'll talk about that here in a minute. Acts 3, there's a lame man standing crippled at the gates of the temple and Peter and John are heading to the temple to pray and he's there to beg for alms, beg for money. Peter, and, Peter responds to them, you know, silver and gold I do not have, but what I have I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ. Walk, this miracle story, this man begins to walk as a crippled man. And now in Acts 4, there's an uproar going on because of what Peter and John are doing, what they're claiming to believe, what they're claiming to spread as the message of Christ. And we're going to pick it up in Acts 4 in verse 1 here. It says, And as they were speaking to the people, the priest and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the word believed and the number of the men came to be about 5,000. On the next day, the rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Ananias the high priest and Caphias and John the Alexander and all who were of the high priestly family. And when they had set them in their midst, they inquired, by what power or by what name did you do this, speaking of the man that was just healed? Then Peter, verse 8, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers of the people and elders... If we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. Verse 11, this Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders which has become the cornerstone. Verse 12 here, and there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. Let's pray for God's word today. Lord, I thank you so much that you're in this place that your presence is here through the power of your Holy Spirit. And I pray today, God, you would renew in our hearts the reality, God, that we didn't get second-rate God. We didn't get just another image or another prophet. We didn't, God, get the bottom of the barrel, but God, we received the A-list, the very presence of God in our lives today, empowering us to believe in you, God empowering us to be a witness for you. And I pray today more than anything, God, that our hearts would long for your presence. Our hearts would long to be filled by your Holy Spirit to do what you're asking us to do in this world, God. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Acts 4, 1 through 4, we see that the Sadducees, they're greatly annoyed at the ministry of the early church. 
And why are they greatly annoyed? They are greatly annoyed because they did not believe in the resurrection of Jesus. So they arrest Peter and John and they detain him, both of them, because this was a threat on the political Romans and this was viewed as a revolutionary revolt. You see, the Sadducees did not believe in Jesus resurrecting from the dead. They did not believe in this power that would happen. And yet now Peter and John are claiming to believe in this king, in this Lord, in this God that died and rose again on the third day. And they're greatly annoyed. And so they detain them overnight because it was evening. In Acts 4 verse 4, it says, But many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of the men came to be about 5,000. Luke continues to catalog the Christian growth that's happening in the early church. Acts 1.15, it started with 120 believers repenting and turning to Jesus. Acts 2.41 at Pentecost, 3,000 are added to the early church at Pentecost. Now Acts 4.4, the men alone, which makes you think there was obviously women and children, the men alone equaled 5,000. The point that Luke is trying to get us to understand in these first few verses is that the movement of the church, both then and now, is unstoppable, unshakable, and unmovable, and continues to grow here in March of 2019. See, what this means for you and I is a really strong encouragement and a really powerful thing I want you to understand. There is nothing stopping the movement of Jesus Christ. There is no legislation, there is no nation rule, there is no government official that can stop the movement and the power of Christ and his church bringing people to him. And in the beginning stages of Acts, we see that first it started with 120, then it started with 3,000, now it starts to 5,000 plus, and all of a sudden you begin to see that this movement of the early church and early Christianity continues to grow rapidly as God begins to challenge his disciples to be obedient and to be a witness for what they believe. See, it's an encouragement to you and I that as long as we're being obedient and as long as we're being a witness to what we've seen and heard the kingdom of God and his work in our life, through our life, is going to continue to advance. A lot of times people have such a negative outlook on the church or a negative outlook on Washington State or a negative outlook on the Pacific Northwest. And I hear it all the time. Wow, they're doing this there. They're doing this here. Wow, if only we lived in Texas. Wow, if only we lived in the Bible Belt. Wow, everyone goes to church down there. Why don't they go to church up here? I want to encourage you today that you and I should be highly encouraged that we live in the Northwest. We should be highly encouraged that God is going to continue to move through his church, through his people, as long as we continue to share the name of Jesus with people that we know. It continues to grow even now over 2,000 years. The unstoppable presence of God, this unmovable movement, it cannot be stopped. Picking it up in verse 5 here, it says, On the next day, their rulers and elders and scribes gathered together, all these high officials gathered together. And this is their big question. By what power or by what name did you do this? There's a crippled man here that's no longer crippled. He can now walk. He's walking and leaping and praising God as the song goes. He's been healed. 
We see him standing before us. And by what power did this happen? Where did this come from? What authority did you even have or what right did you even have to begin to come to this person and lay your hands on them and see them be healed? Why, what power is this? Where is this from? Where does this love for Jesus come from? Where does this kindness, this joy, this passion, this desire to reach others for Christ, where does this come from? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and people of the people and elders. If we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. First of all, they're acknowledging once again that the name of Jesus, the resurrected Savior, it is by his power, the one that you rejected, the one that you wanted between him and Barabbas, but the one that you were saying, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. That man that you rejected, that man that you beat, that man that you watched die on a wooden cross, this very man, this person is the reason why this lame man is now able to walk. It is by this name and this name only. He goes on. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. Basically, what Peter and John are trying to describe to the Sadducees is this cornerstone, this foundational stone. Everything that is built on this foundation, everything that has requirement to build the walls and the structure, everything exists and is built on this one cornerstone. It all lands on this one stone. And that cornerstone that you've rejected, that you've denied belief in, Not only is it not going to be stopped, not only is it going to continue to be advanced, but everything now stands on its foundation. He is the cornerstone. He is the foundation of all that we're doing here and the reason why this person was healed. Peter goes on to say the most powerful thing here, and there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. This is an invitation to the Sadducees to place their faith in Jesus Christ. This is the reason why this crippled man has been healed. This is the reason why we love and care for our neighbors. This is where we declare our allegiance to, that there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Peter is declaring, both him and John are declaring and reminding the Sadducees that there is no other name in heaven or on earth by which men can be saved. 
The reason why we're here today, the reason why we stand on this cornerstone, the reason why we're able to operate in the power of the Holy Spirit, the reason why we're able to share in the testimony and the witness of everything we've seen and heard is because of Jesus Christ, his death, burial, and resurrection. Just as a reminder for you and I here today, That the church, the Grove Church, is not here because of an awesome worship leader or a a good-looking pastor, right? The church moves and operates through Jesus as the foundation of this church. He's the rock. He's the Savior. He's the Lord. He's the one we look to. He's the king of his church. He's the one moving on our behalf, and we continue to declare our allegiance to him. He wants every single person on planet earth to repent and turn to him. Bible says that it's the kindness of God that leads people to repentance. He wants every person without a doubt to know the love and joy and peace of his savior. He wants every person to have relationship with God the father. He is our Lord. He is our king He is our savior and it's every single day we declare our lives and our commitment to the work of Jesus Christ. See, one of the most powerful things you can do as a person, especially when you're young, is to go from seeing your parents believe in Jesus, seeing your parents opening up the scriptures, seeing your parents putting on worship music, seeing your parents praying. One of the best things a young person can do is begin to realize, wow, What my parents have is amazing, but I want to have that too for myself. They've modeled it. They've shown it. They've believed it. But now it's my turn to put my personal faith in Jesus Christ. It's now my turn to open up the word of God and begin to learn about who Jesus is. It's now my turn to take on a habit of prayer. It's now my turn to take on a habit of serving. It's now my turn to take on a habit of generosity and giving. It's now my turn to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. My parents have showed it to me, my uncle showed it to me, my neighbor showed, whoever showed it to me, but it's now my opportunity to declare what Peter declared in saying that there is salvation found in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Simple question for you. When was the last time you declared your commitment and your allegiance to Jesus Christ as your Savior? When was the last time you took a moment before God and said, Jesus, you are my Savior, my Lord, and my King, and I submit my life to you. You are the foundation of my life, and I place my faith and my trust in you. Because when you do it, you believe it, you share it, it's something personal to you. It means something to you when you take it as your own. Peter and John were disciples of Jesus. They were around him for the miracles. They were around him for all the incredible things that happened. But now it was their turn to take their faith public, to declare who their Lord and God was, and to make sure everyone around them knew why they believed and who they believed. 2,000 years later, it's now your turn and my turn 
to declare once and for all, this isn't just some social club. We don't just come because it feels good. It's not just a Sunday routine and nice habit or a tradition that we grew up in. No, we gather every single week on a Sunday to remind ourselves and remind those around us that we worship and declare our allegiance to Jesus Christ, our King. Can I hear an amen? That's why we're here. This last verse is really where I want to focus the rest of our time. It says, now when they saw the boldness, everyone say boldness. When they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. This idea of boldness, this idea of Courage is all throughout the book of Acts and the rest of the New Testament. Let me give you a few examples here of it. This boldness is a spirit-inspired courage and confidence to speak in spite of any danger or threat. Acts 2.29, brothers, I may say to you with confidence, same word there, boldness. Acts 4.29, and now look Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. There it is again, Acts 4.31. They continue to speak the word of God with boldness. 2 Corinthians 3.12. Since we have such a hope, we are very bold. See, what happened here is that when the Spirit of God ascended on the people of God, they now have the very presence of God living inside of them. They've received it. They're now enjoying the power and the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. Now catch this. In the Old Testament, they had the presence of God at a distance guiding and directing them. In fact, if you read in Exodus, we're reading through Exodus right now, the people of Israel had a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. But in Acts 2, it says when the Holy Spirit came, it came like a what? It came like a rushing wind and like a fire. Now again, the Bible is trying to describe to us what it was like when the Holy Spirit came on the day of Pentecost. And the best thing that Dr. Luke can come up with are these two terms, wind and fire. If we think about these two terms just for a minute, let's think about what both does. What does wind do? Well, if we just think ultimately what wind does is it moves us, doesn't it? It overwhelms us. Luke tells us that the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit working in our lives is like a wind meaning that sometimes it is going to overpower us. Sometimes it's going to move us in a way that maybe brings about tears or emotion. Sometimes it's gonna move us to action or move us to a place of bold witness. But the Spirit of God came like a wind, meaning it's overwhelming at times. It, it kind of takes, your, takes you, your breath away. It's this presence of God working in your life at times is gonna be like a wind where it's going to overwhelm you or it's going to move you to do something. What does fire do? Well, in its proper context, it, it warms you. It comforts you when you are cold. It brings light to darkness. If you think about what fire does in a proper context, obviously not a wildfire or anything like that, but in a proper context, 
It warms us, doesn't it? It warms our life. It comforts us when we're cold. It brings healing. It brings strength. It brings this warmth. It also has this amazing thing that when there's a fire in a dark room, in a fire pit, for example, on a dark night, it lights everything up around you. Luke tells us that it came like a fire, meaning the Holy Spirit, when it comes in our lives, it is going to warm us, it's going to comfort us, but it's also going to be used to bring light into a dark world. Are you guys catching this? It's going to overwhelm us. It's going to, at times, cause us to cry. It's going to be the sense that's going to move us. But there's going to be times where the Spirit of God is going to be so powerful in our lives that it's going to move our hearts to being a light into this dark world. If we think about this in terms of Acts 4.13, now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. This empowerment of the Holy Spirit, this boldness of the Holy Spirit, I want you to catch this. This is a spirit-inspired courage and confidence to speak in spite of any danger or threat. And this is something I really want to address today. I talk to people a lot of times about what it means to be a witness for Jesus. And a lot of times when I talk to people about being a witness for Jesus, being a bold witness for Jesus, being a a, a spirit-filled believer that wants to lead people to Jesus, a lot of times they they bring this up. Well, I I show people my love for Christ by the way that I act. I I show my, my love for Jesus by how I treat one another. Or people know that I love Jesus because of the way that I interact with them or the way that I maybe treat them. And I love that. It's being an example. Paul talks about that. Follow me as I follow Christ. Love one another so that the world may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. I love that we talk about the idea of being an example and, and showing people the love of Christ through our actions But I want to encourage you today that the early church, this radical movement of the early church, early Christianity started with boldness to speak. Totally different than actions. Boldness to speak. A boldness to speak in spite of any danger or threat that they were experiencing. That is a different boldness or a different witness than just action alone. In fact, I believe that what our world more than anything needs today in our culture is more words and less action. I believe sometimes people need to know not just who you are, but why you are the way that you are. And the only times you can do that is by showing them and telling them, I have given my life to Jesus Christ. I'm a follower of Jesus and that's who I am. A lot of times people say to me, well, man, I'm trying to witness to, to my friend. I'm trying to witness to my coworker, trying to witness to my family member. And if I can only get them to church, I'm trying to get them to come to church, if I can just get them to church, man, then maybe God will work in their life. Can I tell you right now, you're the church. Your very presence in their life is getting them to church. In fact, please don't rely on me and my response at the end of a message for them to come to know Jesus, God has empowered you through the power of his Holy Spirit and has empowered you to be a witness for him. 
in spite of any danger or threat. See, what's, what's crazy is in the early church, and we know this, if we know anything about church history, they experienced danger and threat, okay? Some of them were crucified upside down. Some of them were beheaded. Some of them were wrapped in animal clothes and fed to lions, okay? They were experiencing threat and harm's way, all right? We're, we're in 2019. Have you experienced any threat or harm's way for your faith in Jesus? Maybe some um, angry emojis on your Facebook account, right? Maybe an unfriend request that someone, you know, blocks you on their phone. Like, that ain't nothing, you guys. That ain't nothing to what the early church experienced at the early stages of his movement. This empowerment, this boldness was a willingness to speak, a spirit-inspired courage and confidence to speak in spite of any danger or threat to speak about who Jesus is, to speak about why you are committed to him, to speak about how he still lives today. Boldness here in Acts is connected to speaking about what we believe about Jesus, no matter how it may sit with our current audience. No matter what they think of us, no matter if it gains friends or gains enemies, There is an encouragement here as we read in the book of Acts that both Peter and John and the early church did not care about what people thought of them. They were not worried about their reputation. They were not worried about how many friends they had. They were not worried about whether or not they were liked or disliked. Here's what they are worried about, the advancement of Jesus in their current context, the advancement of his kingdom and the movement of his church being moved. And I just sometimes wonder for you and I today if we would be more passionate and more bold to speak about the name of Jesus and what we believe. We are more concerned about that than worried about what people thought of us or whether or not we're always gonna be liked. Because that's what we're seeing here. Remember what I said last week, the power of the Holy Spirit was primarily meant for you and I to become witnesses of what Jesus has done. That is what the power of the Holy Spirit is for. Primarily is to give us strength to be a witness. Today, don't undermine the Holy Spirit. He's not Kirk Cameron on the B list of actors, okay? This is the A list Holy Spirit God working in your life, giving you the strength, giving you the courage, giving you the boldness to speak. And yeah, sometimes that is gonna be standing for what you believe in. Sometimes that is gonna be the loss of friends. Sometimes that is gonna be at times some persecution or some comments, sure. But if they did it, we can too. As the worship team is on their way up here, let me close with this last conversation here. I do believe with all my heart that what God would want you to do today is identify where God is asking you to speak to him, where God is asking you to speak about him, excuse me, to others. Because we have to identify in our own context. Okay, God, I heard a message today that the Holy Spirit's not on some B list. He wasn't a prophet or a, a king or another Messiah. No, it was the very presence of God empowering me to be a witness. I heard today that what it's gonna do, this boldness, 
Although my actions sure can speak, what it's gonna do for me as I leave today is it's gonna give me boldness to speak about Jesus. It's gonna give me boldness to speak about Jesus to my family members, to my coworkers, to my neighbors, to those around me. But I have to identify, where is God asking me to speak? What stage, what influence what right, what trust have I gained in someone's life where I can finally tell them, man, I want you to know how much Jesus loves you. I want you to know how much he cares for your life. I, I want you to know that he loves you right where you're at. I want you to know that there's a God in heaven that sent his son Jesus for you and paid the price for your sin. I want you to know that because it brings me so much joy. It brings me so much hope. It brings me so much encouragement. And I want what I have for you to have. But you have to identify, okay, God, I gotta get bold. And I gotta get bold in how I speak about you because that's what they did and I wanna do the same. Would you bow your heads with me here today? If you're in this place here today and You've not put your faith in Jesus Christ. You hear about the bold witness that the early disciples had. But you sit here today and go, you know, I want to put my faith in Jesus Christ. I want to make him my Lord and Savior. Peter told us, and there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Bible says if you confess with your mouth and you believe in your heart that Jesus died and rose again, you shall be saved. Bible says that, you were, that they repented and they immediately were baptized. Meaning they repented, they received the Holy Spirit and they were baptized in water. If you're here today, you wanna to repent, put your faith in Jesus Christ. I'm just gonna ask you to slip up your hand right now. I wanna pray for you today. Anyone here, you say, man, I want to put my faith in Jesus. Two hands here. Awesome. Thanks for being bold, you guys. You can go ahead and put your hands down. Anyone else with these two hands? You want to put your faith in Jesus? Three hands. Thanks so much. Anyone else with these three hands? You want to put your faith in Jesus? With these four hands that were raised. You want to know Jesus as your Lord and Savior today. Anyone else with these four hands? Five, thank you so much for being bold. I love it, you can put your hand down. Anyone else with these five hands? You wanna put your faith in Jesus today. You want him to be the Lord and savior of your life with these five hands that were raised. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Now, if you're a follower of Christ, I want you to pray this prayer with me. If you raise your hand, we're gonna pray this with you. Come on, here's your first moment to be bold in what you speak. We're gonna do it with you today. Come on, just say Jesus. Come on, church, say Jesus. Come into my life. Be my Lord. Be my Savior. I confess with my mouth. I believe in my heart that you, Jesus, died on a cross for my sin and rose again on the third day. Today, I accept the power of your Holy Spirit. Fill me today to be a witness for you. Give me boldness today to speak to others about you. 
and we thank you for it. Come on, let's celebrate five hands. Amen. Awesome. Thank you for listening to the Grove Church Snohomish Sermon Podcast. If you want to keep up with us, like us on Facebook, Instagram, or visit our website at grove.church.